for some women, it's that they can't sleep, like their mind races and either they can't fall asleep or they'll wake up in the middle of the night with like 10 million things on their mind. So interfering with sleep is a huge one. It's one of the triggers for people to come in and get help with it. The other thing is this excessive worry. So it's helpful if you're multitasking and you're getting things done, but then let's say you get a project done and then you cannot feel relaxed because you're so worried about, did I do enough? I should have done it better. And so when it gets into that space where it's like, you can't finish something and feel calm and relaxed and and good about it. Again, that's a space where it's like, "Mm, okay, this is starting to interfere with my ability to live my life in a calm way. Welcome to the Confidence Council podcast. This show is designed for high achieving women who, despite having a great life, just know that they're destined for more. Whether you aren't sure what that next level is, or you have an idea, but the vision feels out of reach, then this podcast is for you. My name is Monica Burkoff. I'm a trial lawyer, a mom, and a wife, and I'm here because I know from my own experience that feeling stuck or unfulfilled does not have to be your reality. With a positive mindset and the right counsel, you too can create the life of your dreams. My hope and intention for this podcast is that you walk away feeling confident, motivated, and inspired to embrace your authentic self and to take bold action toward your dream life. Are you ready to get started? All rise. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Confidence Council podcast. It is your host, Monica Burkhoff. And today on the show, I am joined by licensed mental health therapist and athletic performance coach, Bree Sutton. Bree specializes in helping high achieving women and athletes, which were pretty much one in the same, am I right? Um, stop the cycle of negative self-talk, overthinking, overworking so that they can enjoy enjoy each day with ease. That sounds perfect. I asked Bree to come on the show today to talk about high functioning anxiety and the five sneaky signs that may be showing up in your life that might indicate to a professional that you have high functioning anxiety and you don't even know it. So I don't know much about your journey, Bree. We've chatted a little bit offline, but I'd love for you to introduce yourself and kind of tell the listeners who you are, your path, and maybe why you decided to specialize in high achieving women and athletes of all people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting to get a chance to chat with you about this. So yeah, my name is Bree. I'm a licensed therapist here in um, Spokane, Washington, actually. And I have a private practice out here where, like you said, I'm working with high achieving women with anxiety and athletes. Gosh, the journey to get here, I, you know, there's this sort of joke in the counseling world that you sort of are your client, like you are the the image of your clients. And I am a person, I'm a high achieving woman with anxiety. And so I think it just sort of felt like a natural fit for me to work with that population. It's also a group of folks I just love to work with because they're just so dedicated to the process of Um, being in therapy, they're excited to be there, they're motivated, and it's just awesome working with them. That was sort of my original niche when I started my private practice. And then 
uh, there was this period where I had this flood of uh, college athletes, retired athletes, um, and it just sort of this new pattern sort of emerged in my clients. Um, and I thought, man, okay, <laughs> this is interesting. And I uh, did some specialty training in working with athletes and got um, certified doing brain spotting, which is a, a therapeutic technique. And I uh, uh, got the sports specialty with that. So then it's sort of my practice went in these two directions where I would have the high achieving women still and then also athletes. And it's, it's just such a great combination. <laughs> What are the what were the athletes struggling from when they retired from the sport? So this interesting thing happens with athletes, especially if they started young and then they either became professionals or college athletes, is that they are constantly earning praise from their performance. Um, and if something doesn't go well, they can adjust and then perform better next time. And so when, when an athlete retires and they go into, say, the corporate world, they can't, it's not always about their physical performance, right? And so they're not necessarily getting the praise that they're used to. I mean, you know, from being in any corporate environment, every time you finish a, a project, you're not getting a ton of praise yeah. with it. It's, right. You know, it's just, this sort of can be some thankless jobs. And so they're having a hard time it's sort of a way that people gauge how they're doing, you know, athletes gauge how they're doing by the crowd, by the, the, you know, people around them, um, coaches, you know, and so when they don't have that, it's just very hard for them to sometimes understand how they're doing and to feel like they're doing well without all of that outside praise. There's also then the issue of if they aren't performing as well as they want to, it's not the same sort of quick fix that it used to be when they were, you know, an athlete and they could just train a little bit harder or that, I, I, I mean, that resonates with me so much because my husband is an ex-athlete and we talked about like love languages or something when we were um, going through like the pre cana before we got married. Mm -hmm. And one of his was, he didn't admit it, but it's, it's definitely words of affirmation. And now that makes so much sense. I'm like, why do you need to constantly be told how much I love you and how great you are? You know that, you know, but yeah. to kind of put it in that perspective where they're like, yeah, I had a boy, you know, every time you get a good pass or da 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 on the football field to then go to nothing. Like you need it. You kind of need to hear it. Mm -hmm. So he's yeah. working on the yard. So I'm going to go out there after we're done and be like, great job. You know, You're watering the plants. Well. You're doing the best. Yeah. Oh, Cleaning up the toys after it. the kids. <laughs> He's yeah. going to hear, listen to this and he's going to hate me. Love you, honey. Okay. So we're here today to talk about high functioning anxiety. And I have to say that I Googled it a little bit before we logged on and I feel like I might have it. And so I'm really interested to hear more. Um, how about we start with just the basics? What is anxiety? Mm, yeah. So anxiety is, it's something that we all have and it's really quite healthy in many ways. Anxiety is sort of this alarm system in our body that says something's not right, something needs to change. It's very functional in that way, where it's sort of this alert system. Uh, for people who have more on the diagnosable side of anxiety, where it, it, is, it actually becomes problematic in their day-to-day -day life because it interferes with your ability to maybe focus, finish projects. Um, oh, for people that have like speaking anxiety, right? Oftentimes when we get in these higher positions in our career, we're asked to speak about things and, and that can just create paralyzing 
uh, anxious feelings. Um, and so that's how it, that's how it gets to sort of that clinical level is that it stops you from doing things that you would normal normally be able to do. Cause it sounds like a, 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 like, well, maybe we'll get to this, but it sounds like kind of imposter syndrome, but like inflated times a hundred. Um, but, but here, but anxiety to the point where it's diagnosable, you're saying is when they can't even like move forward because they're like kind of crippled by, is it like fear, like a feeling of fear? It's like, a, you know, the two feelings that sort of get um, mistaken for one another often is anxiety and excitement. So if you think about that feeling you get when you're really excited about something, but if it's not, if that energy isn't put towards something positive, <laughs> then the, then it's, it sort of shifts into this anxious space. Um, and, and we could probably get into this a little bit in the different, the five ways that it shows up with people sometimes, but when anxiety peaks, it does something to our nervous system where it puts us on high alert and it shuts down the thinking brain. So the, the frontal lobe of our brain kind of goes offline for a while because it thinks that we're in trouble, we're in danger, and there's no time to think then. We have to just be able to act. And so those are the moments where people just sort of freeze or they can't think. Uh, they'll say things to me like, oh, I get in front of my board meeting and my mind just goes blank. I've, I don't even know who I am at that, <laughs> at that mm. moment. Um, and so the goal is to help their nervous system get back to sort of that calm, more neutral space. So then what is high functioning anxiety? Uh, yeah. So high functioning anxiety is the one that a lot of high achieving women in particular deal with on a pretty regular basis. And that is when our anxiety is to the point where it actually is helpful in some ways. So it helps us to get things. We're probably really good multitaskers. There's this sort of nervous energy that drives us. And the high functioning piece of it means that we go on with our day-to-day lives, despite this being sort of a constant, right? It becomes sort of like a, a normal way of being, even though if we looked at it from a clinical perspective, it's sort of maladaptive. Um, but it works for us. And again, we get a lot of praise for getting things done. We get a lot, we're probably get more done than the, than your peers um, because there's this constant sort of buzzing energy. So in a lot of ways it helps us. Okay. Until, until it doesn't. Until, until it doesn't. doesn't. Uh-huh. And, and, and until it doesn't is when it creeps over that line, right? To just mm-hmm. being like paralyzing anxiety. Yes. yes. Or, for some women, it's that they can't sleep, like their mind races, and either they can't fall asleep or they'll wake up in the middle of the night with like 10 million things on their mind. So interfering with sleep is a huge one. It's one of the triggers for people to come in and get help with it. The other thing is this excessive worry. So it's helpful if you're multitasking and you're getting things done, but then let's say you get a project done and then you cannot feel relaxed because you're so worried about, did I do enough? I should have done it better. I only edited it 13 times. I should have done it a 14th, right? So when it gets to, <laughs> I know, me. right? Yeah. Me. Yep. Right, right. And so when it gets into that space where it's like, you can't finish something and feel calm and relaxed and, and good about it. Again, that's a space where it's like, mm, okay, this is starting to interfere with my ability to live my life in a calm way. 
Yeah. Like for, for me, I'm an attorney and we have to capture our time and an email should take like, you know, a point one, which is like six minutes. And I will, this, okay. I, I will say that I kick this habit. So I would write the email for probably half an hour, like a, which should be like a five minute email. I would write it for half an hour to make sure it was perfect. Then after I would send it, I would reread it 10 times, like literally 10 times. And I was like, I need to move on with my life. I'm wasting time. You know, I'm not, I'm not able to bill for that. Like I, I need to stop. Like it's done. It's gone. So now I like literally will like proofread so fast and just send it. I'm like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Just let it, let it go. go. Mm -hmm. So, but somebody who had maybe, who was creeping toward anxiety, it would be like, you know, a couple, an hour or something where it's, Mm-hmm. They can't stop thinking about it, and you know it's take. They can't get on to the next task because it's mm-hmm. consuming. Yeah, does that sound right? Yes, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the signs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this one is sort of what we were just talking about: is that um, difficulty really being able to truly relax? Um, and this one, I joke with clients sometimes. I'll say, "So, what do you do in your downtime? What do you do to relax?" And they'll say like, well, you know, fold laundry or I'll do cleaning. (laughs) And there's this like anxiety cleaning where it's um, people will go around and clean their house, like excessive amounts of cleaning. And it's, it's actually in the moment it feels self-soothing. Like it, it does help the anxiety in that moment to go like a clean space feels really good. Um, but it doesn't address the underlying issue, right? Which is that sort of more chronic anxiety problem. Um, and so for some people, if they notice they have a hard time just being able to sit down and have coffee or read a book, if you feel like you have to be doing something all the time, that might sort of tip the scales into more of that like clinical um, anxiety because you're, you're not, a, your body isn't, being allowed to sit in its uh, calming nervous system. Wait, what does that mean, the calming nervous system? So our nervous system has this sort of activated side to it. And that's the, the side of it where it's like the fight, flight, or freeze. So when we're activated about something and when people have chronic anxiety, their bodies are chronically activated. And so that's shortened, like short breathing and rapid heart rate, things like that. Then there's the other side of the nervous system that's the parasympathetic. And this side is the the calming, relaxed side of things. It's like, mm, gosh, your heart rate slows down, your breathing slows down. This is sort of like that moment right before you actually fall asleep, your body is in parasympathetic. And people with diagnosed anxiety never really reach or or don't easily reach that kind of yeah, feeling. They spend, a, they spend a lot more time in the, the activated side of things. Um, that's that like that nervous energy I talked about where your body feels like it's buzzing. That's your nervous system being activated. And you said that you were talking about sleep a little earlier as being one of the reasons why people kind of seek help in the first place. Yeah. That is probably like, right, like the in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. And I've had trouble falling asleep because the to-dos and things are, you know, running through my mind, but I'll just roll over, write them down. And then I just kind of turn on a podcast and I'm able to kind of fall asleep with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think we're going to go over ways to kind of work through it and live with it um, because I, I, I do feel very sane right now. I feel like this yeah. is about me. <laughs> there are days, I'll be honest, that... 
I'll just have like this tightness in my chest and it'll be like two days straight. Yeah. And I just feel like I can't breathe through it. I kind of can't shake it. And I'll have to like go into the park or like go on a walk and do like just like multiple deep breaths for like 10 minutes, then come back home, you know, and mm-hmm. but I'm able to shake it off, like get it, you know, but it does take a lot of attention um, mm-hmm. to get to that point. Yeah. Um, okay. So struggling to relax. That's a big one. Struggling to sleep. What's what's another sign? Another one is uh, snacking when you feel stressed. I know, I know. <laughs> oh no! So the this one comes in where the snacking is a again, it's sort of like a self soothing technique. So you're feeling anxious and you reach for some food, and it's not because you're hungry. It's not because your body needs that nutrition. It's because the that sort of it's comforting to do that in that moment, whether it's the flavor, if it's the kind of little dopamine hit you get from it or the sugar, whatever it is, feels soothing. And when our bodies are dysregulated or anxious in any moment, we we really try to find that balance. And snacking is just one of like the classic ways that people try to get their body back to a state that feels good. And it's maladaptive because again, it doesn't actually help reduce the anxiety it helps you feel better in that moment because you're having that sort of um, satisfaction in that moment. So it feels like, okay, now I, I have my snack and I'm feeling okay. Um, you know what I'm thinking of when we talk about this section is that meme of that girl who's like eating the chips nervously, looking back and forth while two people are like arguing. <laughs> like yeah, that yeah. is like, that looks like stress eating to me. Yes. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? There's yes, probably a ton exactly. of versions of that, but that is what mm-hmm. I'm thinking of because when you said snacking, I'm like, oh, but I feel like I'm a more a bored snacker. Like I'll eat out of boredom. Oh yeah. That's different, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's different. So, and one way to sort of point this one out is to notice when, um, like when you are reaching for a snack, what else is going on? Right. Like I, snacking's not bad. I'm a big fan of eating. Yeah, me <laughs> but, too. <laughs> but I think, right. But I, if w- one thing I notice for myself is that if I just have, if I'm at home and I were trying to get out the door, have a stressful moment, I will reach for food. And it's like, I'm in the middle of this chaos trying to get your hands are full. Like, yeah. 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 And I'm like, food. Um, and so for me, that was a sign that like, okay, this isn't, I don't want the snack right now. I need to like, take a moment and take a breath for myself and get my, a little bit calmed down and then, and then I'm okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's number two. And then what's the next sign? Yeah. So the next one is obsessively over planning for things. And this is the people who, before they do something, they try to think of like all of the things that could go wrong and they try to plan for all of the things that could go wrong. And they don't feel like they can necessarily start that thing until they've planned for everything that can go wrong. Um, and it's that is sort of along the lines of excessive worry, right? Like, um, if I'm going to leave the house with my kids, I better have snacks and diapers and milk and, you know, wipes and all the things. The problem is that without, I mean, we, of course, you never know what's going to actually happen out there. <laughs> <laughs> and we forget the, how capable we are of dealing with things in the moment. And so it's the anxiety is the thing that's saying, you better be prepared for everything. You don't want to be caught off guard. And the reality is if you're out with your baby and you need a diaper, you're going to find a diaper. Yeah. Or you're going to get yourself back home, right? So Yes. 
the over planning isn't necessarily about actually being prepared. It's more about soothing that like, ah, like that nervous side of you. I'm also thinking of like packing for a trip. Like I I pack my suitcase. My husband's like, you have 17 pairs of underwear. Like there's a washing machine there because it's like an Airbnb. Are you planning yeah. on like shitting your pants five day, five times a day? Like you don't need this money for a weekend. I'm like, right. I, you never know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You never know. You never know, but you kind of do know You that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's the excessive worrying about the future, the what ifs um, to a point where it's like spiraling. Yeah. And actually that sort of leads into the next one, which is this, then sort of giving up when you feel overwhelmed. So it might be like if you are trying to plan as much as you can, and then it gets to the point where you're like, you know what, I don't, there's no way I could possibly be ready for this trip. I'm just not going to go and or not go. uh, I hear this a lot with people that have more of like the social anxiety is like, they'll get dressed and all ready to go out to do something. And then the anxiety takes over and they just won't leave the house. Mm-hmm. or they'll go and stand in the corner and not engage with anyone. What happens with this one sometimes is that the anxiety sort of becomes so much, it's it just floods your brain. And that's where like the frontal lobe sort of shuts down again, and you can't think very well. Uh, and so what your body really needs in that moment is to get back into more of a regulated state or a relaxed state. And then once you're in the relaxed state, then it's sort of easier to get motivated or uh, take that step to get out the door and go be with your friends. Can a, can like procrastination be one of these signs? Mm, yes. <laughs> in what way? Like to what extent? Uh, so procrastination is part of it could be the worry. Um, like I almost think of the checking the emails so many times like you were talking about is almost like a like you're procrastinating to just send the email because what if you said something wrong? What if a detail is wrong? What if you send it to 10 people instead of one person? Like so many things could go wrong, you know, and that's the anxiety that's like, you better check everything or the procrastination of like, there's a thing that has to get done. And there's so much of that buzzy, nervous energy that you just, you can't, it's like, it's like there's a glass wall in front of you and you literally can't push past it. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I'm just yeah. not going to. I'm, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. So then we're on number five now. What's the final one? So this one is trouble taking your workout to the next level. Which, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, this is kind of an interesting one. But really, when you think about what it is that anxiety does to your body, it, it can make sense. Um, and I see this with athletes oftentimes is that some of the things that we had talked about, like the tightness in your chest or the... When we're anxious, we have a lot of shallow breathing. So it's the chest breathing, um, rapid heart rate, trouble focusing. These are all things that impede your ability to perform at your best, right? And so if you're finding that you're consistently plateauing, this might be something to look at is when I'm going into my workout, am I taking nice, long, deep breaths? Do I feel a sense of calm in my body? Is my heart rate at its true resting heart rate or is it elevated right now? Am I having trouble being motivated or focused on the workout? Um, And if that's the case, then doing some of these things to get your body back into the more regulated space will help 
allow the muscles and it will allow your breathing and your heart rate to do what they do best, right? When they're not under stress. So what are some of those things that we can do? Deep breathing is definitely a good place to start. I sort of say that breathing is like the language of the neurological system (laughs) in that when you'll notice like before you go to sleep, you're taking longer, slower, deeper breaths. Um, And that's something that your body feels like it can do when it's safe. And so your body does that naturally when it needs to sleep or it's tired. But then we can sort of create that in ourselves by controlling our breath. Right. So if I want to have a lot of if I need like a burst of energy, you can force yourself to do like like really short breaths and that will sort of spike you into this like energetic space. So then the opposite also is true, that if we take long, slow, deep breaths, the body naturally shifts back into the parasympathetic, uh, which is the calming nervous system where we can be more relaxed and be more at our um, calm state of being. I feel like that is what helps me nine times out of 10. Yeah, it's just, but I have to be very intentional about it. You know, I, I just, I just have to keep, think about your breath. Just think about your breath. Otherwise it's going to keep spiraling over there. And yeah, like I said, sometimes like even last, last week, I like walked to the park and I sat on a bench under a tree and I just like did this deep breathing for 10 minutes before I would let myself walk back home until I could see it. And like, I feel like maybe like a, a heart rate monitor or something like that is probably a good idea for people with anxiety. Is that something that you recommend too? Sure. Yeah, I love I mean, I have a Fitbit that I use and I can check my heart rate. Um, and that sort of gives me a gauge of like, because <laughs> sometimes it's hard to tell when you're just you live in this body and it's hard to notice necessarily if your heart rate is up or down. Um, but yeah, so having a tracker can be really helpful. Another thing uh, that people can do, there's two more sort of body based things that are pretty simple. One is to tense your muscles, tense all of your muscles. Like clench? And then, yep, like clench all of your muscles, tense them all up, and then let go. Right. So if you do that a few times, it's sort of like, again, you're talking to your body, you're talking to the muscles and saying like, this is what it feels like when we're stressed and anxious. And then this is where we want to be. Oh, that's Um, nice. And it can That's a good tip. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's actually uh, a lot of um, like guided meditations that do it's guided muscle relaxation. And um, that's sort of the same thing where you're really paying attention to each of the muscle groups and helping them relax one at a time. But your physical body, you're, you're sort of helping your physical body experience relaxation. Do you recommend doing those types of guided meditations in the morning, in the moment when that feeling like strikes at the end of the day or... Anything specific? For sure at the end of the day, if you're trying to wind down and having a hard time with it, you're not going to, it's not going to hurt to do it at other times of the day. And it really as much as you need to, I would say throughout the day, probably the deep breathing is more uh, manageable for people because no matter where you are, you can focus on your breath, right? One thing that I think is important to say too, is I have a lot of people that talk about how frustrated they get when they try to meditate. (laughs) And gosh, meditation is so wonderful. And there's some populations that it's just a really huge challenge for. Um, People with ADHD and people with anxiety often have a really hard time with it because you're being told to sit and clear your mind. (laughs) 
and that it's like okay yeah in what world do you think someone with <laughs> anxiety could just sit there and clear their mind um <clears throat> and so they oftentimes will just give up and say like oh meditation's not for me um and uh having some sort of guided meditation though can be really helpful because rather than focusing on like the rabbit hole of worry that your brain is taking you on, it's giving you something, you're listening to somebody tell you exactly what to do. So if meditation feels like something that someone wants to try and they have anxiety, I would send them in the guided mm. meditation route for sure. That's such a good tip because I feel like, yeah, the high achiever, we're like, we want to follow directions. We're going to be great at it. We're going to listen. Yeah. We're going to follow along. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, that that that's good. And um is there like a certain place that you find those guided meditations, like an app or anything that you would recommend? Um, I know uh, Calm, the Calm app has them. Spotify, I think if you just look up um, like guided relaxation meditation or something like that, you could find one. Uh, let's see. There is one. Actually, there's a great, if for people who do have Spotify. So there is one album. It's called Biolateral Sounds. So these sounds are to be listened to with headphones. Um, but this is sort of part of the brain spotting training that I've done is I learned that using these sounds, they're specifically the tones go in and out of the left and right speakers at specific paces so that the brain has to cross over in order to listen to these sounds or the, the neurons have to cross the mid part of the brain to listen to them. And that's very calming for your nervous system. Mm. So, Maybe you can send the link to me and then I can link it in the show notes so that yeah. anyone interested, because I'm definitely going to check that out. That yeah. sounds great. You yeah. said there was one more body thing because I think that you said there were three body things oh, to calm you down. Um, so sort of similar to the bilateral sounds, people can um, squeeze their left and right hands. So squeeze, but yeah, just left and right and left and right. And sometimes that can be really calming. Again, it's a way for the neurons in your brain to cross over the midsection, which again is something that's very calming for your nervous system. I notice for myself, I will just naturally tap my feet um, off and on. And that I think is one of the ways that I just sort of have naturally learned to soothe in anxious moments. Um, but yeah, so tapping feet or squeezing your hands left and right um, can be another thing that sort of helps your system take it down a notch. Have you seen any of your patients like bounce their knee? Because I feel like I've been doing that as a kid. Is that a thing for yeah, anxiety I'm, or yeah? I'm sure, it could be. I that's something that I see a lot, like a physical manifestation of ADHD sometimes. Um, but I imagine with anxiety, it's just a way for your body to sort of let that anxious energy out. Yeah, I was like at a meeting and we were sitting at this long conference table and. I, was, I like looked down and because the, the table was shaking, there's probably three or four people bouncing their like knee. Oh and I was like, "Well, this is the thing." I thought it was just me. I tried not to do it because my grandma told me it like wasn't ladylike, and I just oh. kind of like stopped doing it. Somehow okay. I was able to stop. But... Oh, no, that's funny. Okay, so what other tips can you provide for us high achievers who are always mm -hmm. on ten? Yeah, um, I think it's important to know when it's time to go get some outside support with it. Um, and that's again, like the moments where it's starting to interfere with your just day-to-day -day life. A therapist can sort of help you understand the more of like the root cause of the anxiety sometimes. Um, there's all tons of reasons that people have anxiety. Um, and then 
from there, we also can look at like, what are the different techniques and tools that we can use to help naturally soothe the anxiety? And then if that doesn't work, perhaps someone could look at a medication consultation and see if there's something there that might be helpful. Yeah, I'd say it's just really important to know when to get the help. I think most people, if you're listening, you probably know if it's you yeah, because you're living with it and you know when it's gotten to a point where you're not productive anymore and it's just kind of interfering with life. Mm-hmm. How can how can those people reach out to you or you know anyone if they're interested or even if they're ex-athletes um, looking to get some support from you? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram and I'm hellobree.co and I, my website is hellobree.co. <laughs> Um, and so I offer therapy for people in Washington state, um, performance coaching is, I have a, um, coaching certification and so I can do coaching worldwide and that's less, it's less about looking into the past and digging up some of the, the past things. And it's more about the future focus, um, in coaching. And so I can, yeah, do that globally with people or therapy in Washington state. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm so happy that we had you on the show today. I feel very seen. And it's interesting to hear that this is a characteristic that's super like common among high achieving women and of of all people. And it makes so much sense, you know? Um, But I do appreciate that you highlighted also the good things that come out of it. Like we're crushing Mm -hmm. it. You know, know. we're everything for everyone. You know, we got the kids, we got the diaper bag, we're working, we're running the office, we're doing all the things and um, making the world go around. Right. So, but it's, it's at the point where it's interfering with um, being able to love your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And just feeling great when it's time to kind of get some help. It sounds right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. right. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah. Thank you too, Monica. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Confidence Council podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you click the follow button so that you're notified every time a new episode drops. If you want more content between episodes, check out the show's Instagram account and website, which will be linked in the show notes for you below. If you're walking away from today's episode feeling more confident or empowered in some way, please share it with a friend or share it on social media so that others can benefit from it too. Thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now.